So we've been in a conversation uh, called Here and Now, and today we're actually going to wrap that conversation up. For those of you that haven't been with us uh, this entire time, we've been talking about God and the reality that he's here and now and he's working and we explored the infinite nature of, of who he is and what he's doing. We talked last week about his son, Jesus. And we talked exponentially about Jesus and his purpose here on earth and, and why we need Jesus. And this morning we're going to wrap up uh, this Trinitarian conversation by talking about the Holy Spirit. And it's an interesting topic today, and, and I'm not going to give you everything that you need to know, but I'm going to give you enough to go do your own research and go do your own studies and have these conversations with your family and friends, uh, because it's just enough to sort of go, okay, I'm curious. The thing with the Holy Spirit is uh, everybody. Across the room, if you've had any experience in church, you've had some sort of dealing with uh, the idea of the Holy Spirit. And what's interesting to me when it comes to the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost or uh, whatever term you've heard or use is that I understand the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I understand God because I understand a Father. I am a Father, and so I understand fatherhood. I have a Father, too, and so I understand the role that a Father plays in our lives, and practically I see fathers, and we can understand that. Uh, I have sons. I am a son. Uh, I understand that role. I understand what it means to, uh, to have sons and to be a son. And so that makes sense to me. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, it's a little more complex. Because the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost or whatever term you want to use is, is sort of this mystical, like magical, like a little spooky that we all kind of engage with the Holy Spirit in a very different way. And a lot of us come uh, with some trepidation. We don't understand the role of the Holy Spirit as much as we do the Father and the Son. And, and even though uh, you may be like, well, that's not weird to me, uh, I need you to know that the word Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost is quite weird to a lot of people. And if you don't think it's odd, then walk into the restaurant you go to this afternoon and just say, I feel the spirit in this place, and see what happens. You're not going to get a discount. There's this idea <laughs> that the Holy Spirit is strange. And I feel like it's really easy for us just to go, okay, let's just put that on the table, right? So like whatever preconceived ideas, whatever experiences you have, whether they were uh, toxic or whether they were healthy, whether they were, uh, you know, overemphasizing or whether they were underemphasizing, whether it was movies and television or, or 90s evangelicals, like whatever it was, let's just put it all on the table. Let's just admit across the board that it's a little odd and let's build a framework that is scripturally based and let's look and see who the Holy Spirit really is, not who you think he is, not us projecting our ideals onto the Holy Spirit, but let's actually look at what the Scripture says because there's a lot of mystery that surrounds the Holy Spirit. And the reason is because there's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of misinformation because we want the Holy Spirit to be spooky and we want it to be strange and we want it to be a little weird and yet it's not as odd as we may think. And so what I've noticed is that in the, the context of churches, the big C church, churches tend to either overemphasize the Holy Spirit Meaning they elevate the gifts, uh, they uh, put forth the gifts that may be uh, a really large part of their services. They overemphasize it. These are more uh, overtly charismatic churches. I grew up in a very charismatic environment, and so I understand what it means to uh, emphasize or maybe overemphasize the Holy Spirit in uh, a given service. And, and then there are others that don't talk about it at all. There's some that overemphasize it, and then many others who underemphasize it. They may not know much about it or, or, or maybe a little afraid, so they 
underemphasize it. We don't talk about it a whole lot. And I've noticed in my life and in my uh, ministry and career and in and, and my journey of faith that because I grew up in an environment that was overemphasizing the Holy Spirit, I kind of walked the opposite way. And yet, walking away from the Holy Spirit is not the answer either because it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, then we have to seek to understand the role that the Holy Spirit plays in our faith, in our theology, and in our life. And you may not understand the Holy Spirit, but it didn't go away. And so what I want to do is I want us to get a, a, a biblical understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and why we need it, why we need him. We want to celebrate the gifts as a church without worshiping the gifts. We want to elevate the gifts Without worshiping the gifts, there's a lot of environments where they worship the gifts over the giver. And so as a church, we're going to be very careful that we don't worship gifts over the giver. The gifts come to us from God. And so we always maintain the fact that we are worshiping God and we point everyone to the table of the Lord, which elevates Jesus. And so the gifts are a part of the, the church. And we'll talk about gifts very little, but I'll point you to some places where you can learn more. But what I don't want us to do is I want, don't want us to elevate the Holy Spirit over the rest of the Trinity, that it's part of three for a reason. And the way that I tend to think and the way that I think our church tends to operate and we work through this in our, um, in our members class, which we'll have one coming up, is uh, I, I see there's a three-stream situation. Where if you think of, you know, a river, not the Ohio, because that one no one wants to think of, but if you think of a river and, and there are multiple streams that flow into it, I feel like our church has multiple streams that flow in. We have the charismatic, we have the, the Holy Spirit, and yet we also have the liturgical written prayers, and, and we elevate the table of the Lord, and we want to maintain uh, the, the ancient future uh, dynamic of our church, and so we don't want to get away from that, and then we have the evangelistic, and so as we see those three streams flowing, we find that we become a, a very healthy and, and ideally imbalanced church, where we're celebrating the gifts, but we're worshiping the giver, where we understand the power and the impact that the Holy Spirit plays, not just on our church, but in our daily lives, but we're not overemphasizing one part of the Godhead uh, versus another. There's God of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they're here to work uh, among us and with us. And so the way that I've heard this described that makes the most sense to me is that the Father works for us. The Son works among us. And the Spirit works within us. God the Father works for us. The Son and Jesus works among us. And the Holy Spirit works within us. And so my goal this morning is to demystify the Holy Spirit, to help us come to a, a common understanding and so that you can have the resources you need to go and discover uh, what the Holy Spirit means for you. And because we don't understand it, we get a little bit scared. And when we get a little scared, we depersonalize. It's not easy to see how the Holy Spirit fits into the picture of our lives until we begin to understand the purpose Yet through the scriptures we read that the Holy Spirit is active in the world. Meaning, God is still working. We're not cessationists here, meaning we don't believe that the gifts ended with the last apostle here on earth. We still believe that God's working. And we celebrate his work. He's still healing, and we pray for healing. He's still moving and working. And so we believe in those things. We believe that God still works. And the Spirit of God, or the Holy Spirit, is mentioned over 800 times in scripture. Where, for contrast, the word prayer is mentioned 121 times. So where we think prayer is really important, and it is, we realize the Holy Spirit is mentioned over 800 times. 
And so for you and I, we need to understand what the Holy Spirit's role is in our lives. And we find that the first mention of the Holy Spirit is in Genesis 1. If you spent any amount of time in church, you've heard Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the very beginning, God began to create the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. And look at this. And the Spirit of God, capital S, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Here we are just two chapters into the Bible, not maybe 15, 18 words in. And we find that the Spirit of God is mentioned, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is translated in Greek as the wind of God. Some see this as the breath of God that is hovering over the waters as God is forming. The Spirit of God, His Spirit, His breath, the wind is there, it's present. And it's clear that God is the subject of creation and He's the primary forming action. But the Holy Spirit and the Spirit of God is also mentioned uh, as being different than the one who speaks creation into being. Creation exists from the Father, in the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. In the very beginning, we see that the Holy Spirit is present. If you turn to John 14, uh, verse 16 in the Scriptures, we begin to get a better understanding of the Holy Spirit and the role that He plays in our lives. In verse 16, it says, uh, this is Jesus speaking for uh, context. He says, I will ask the Father, and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be, what? In you. So here we find this fascinating passage where Jesus, and, and for those of you that know uh, the full story, Jesus is about to leave. He spent time on earth. We believe he was here as a human, born in a manger of uh, immaculate conception. And he grew and he lived and he worked on some uh, furniture and, and, and he was here with us and existed. And, and his time here on earth came to an end. And he knew he was leaving and he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you to fend for yourself. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to leave the counselor. I'm going to ask God to actually send the counselor. And he says, here's the thing, though. The counselor is going to come, and he's going to be the spirit of truth. But you're probably, some people aren't going to know him. The world actually can't know him. The world can't know him because they can't see him. And I feel like a lot of us sort of fit into that boat where we can understand Father, and we can understand Son because we've seen examples, but we can't understand the spirit of God because we haven't seen examples unless you believe in ghosts, and that's a different rabbit trail. We won't go down. There's this idea, though, that you and I, we should be able to know him. We should be able to experience him. That Jesus is explaining, though, our struggle with the Holy Spirit. He knew for generations to come that it would be difficult for us to wrap our brains around what's happening, that the world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see or know him. And still today, we struggle with this idea that if we can't see the Holy Spirit, then how can we know the Holy Spirit? We don't see or recognize the Holy Spirit, so we don't know how it works and what it does. And Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a hymn. The first thing I want to note is that the Holy Spirit is a hymn. Now, I'm not getting into, like, gender stuff again and, and all of that. It's, it's less about the gender of the Holy Spirit and more about the reality that the Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not vague. It's not impersonal. It's not uh, ethereal. It's him. And when you begin to put uh, 
a, a pronoun to something, it begins to articulate, it begins to breathe life, it begins to make more personal that the Holy Spirit is a helm. And in verse 17, Jesus says, He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. Four times we see the word him used to describe the Holy Spirit. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is a Him, and Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a Him to help us understand just a little bit better, to help us personalize. That a lot of times we refer to the Holy Spirit as an it because we don't understand its role or understand what it does. The Holy Spirit is not an it, it's a Him. He's the third part of the Godhead, He's the third part of the Trinity. He is God in spirit form. And He's among us, and He's with us, and He's in us. And when you read about the Holy Spirit in Scripture, you learn that not only is the Holy Spirit among us and with us and can be in us, and not only is it a person, but it can actually be grieved. That the Holy Spirit has emotions. I can grieve you. I can tell you a sad story, or I can say something hurtful, and I can harm you, but do you know that I can't harm this stand? I mean, I can physically harm it. I won't. But I can't verbally harm it. Like, I can't, it doesn't have emotion. My iPad here, uh, a standard iPad, does not, as of now, have emotion. It cannot feel or sense. It does not understand. It's just doing what I tell it to. And, and so if the Holy Spirit was just a, an it, then it wouldn't have emotion and it wouldn't be able to be grieved. And in Ephesians 4.30, we find out how the Holy Spirit can be grieved. It says, and do not grieve God's Holy Spirit. Very, very clearly stated, don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. It says you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. I don't know exactly what that means, but it sounds super important. Verse 31, all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. Verse 32, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. And so here we find the challenge and the way that we meet the challenge. We find the challenge. What is the challenge? Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. It's not a good idea. We'll find out later how bad of an idea it really is. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. And then the challenge is this, or the, the, the way we meet the challenge is this. We don't grieve the Holy Spirit when we live like humans. If we live like wild animals and we treat each other with greed and anger and wrath and malice, then we grieve the Holy Spirit. When we refuse to forgive one another, we grieve the Holy Spirit. The Bible continuously draws us together. I've said this a million times, I'll keep saying it, the Bible is annoyingly relational. We need one another. The way that we react and respond to one another affects What's going on in the heavens? When we don't forgive one another, when we act out in anger or bitterness or malice, when we talk behind one another's backs or we uh, say things that aren't true or we're, we're, we're working out of greed or anger or jealousy, all of a sudden we're grieving the Holy Spirit and we don't even realize it. And Ephesians is saying, don't. It's saying be compassionate, forgive, stop yelling and getting angry that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. And I think, man, how many times have I grieved the Holy Spirit by my actions? Next, we know that the Holy Spirit can be lied to. The Holy Spirit is that he can be lied to because the Holy Spirit is not an inanimate object but a, a person and part of the Godhead. We find that he can be lied to. And if you look at Acts 5, we find a man named Ananias. And he's with his wife, Sapphira. And in context, they sold some property. 
and they decided to donate some of the property to, uh, to God, and yet they wanted to keep a portion of the proceeds for themselves. Nothing new here, not a big deal. You've sold property, I've sold property, you've kept some for yourself, I've kept some for myself, I've donated a little, you know, whatever, not a big deal. The problem comes when we lie about what's happening, and that's exactly what they did in verse 3. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back of the proceeds from the field? Wasn't it yours while you possessed it and after it was sold, wasn't it at your disposal? Why is it that you planned this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but what? Lied to God. In verse 5, when he heard these words, Ananias dropped dead. I think about this almost every time I tithe. I'm like, did I, am I being intellectually honest? A great fear came on all who heard. Because the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be lied to. Because the Holy Spirit is a person, a part of the Trinity. He's God in the Spirit. He can be lied to. He can be grieved. He reacts to our actions. He responds to our responses. There's this relationship, this inner dynamic connectivity that transpires between me and you and the Holy Spirit and God and Jesus. And we're all sort of in this weird, un, uh, difficult to understand sort of mix of how I treat you uh, affects how God is feeling and the Holy Spirit is sensing. And we're all sort of in this mix together. And so often we depersonalize the Holy Spirit when throughout the scripture we see the Holy Spirit responds to mankind is actively working with us and in us. And this reinforces his role in the Trinity as God and spirit form. So Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a him. The second thing that Jesus says is he refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor. He refers to the Holy Spirit as a counselor. That's a term I can get behind, right? I, I've in counseling, uh, been in counseling for a really long time. I see great value in counseling. Uh, I do some pastoral counseling, though I'm not fantastic at it. There's this idea, though, that I can get counseling. There's this idea that when you sit in a counselor's office, you, uh, you know, on the front end, you typically have something that you're wrestling with, and the counselor's job is to, to pull some of that out slowly to help you heal and to, to drag that out. And if you're going in a different direction, the counselor's job is to counsel you, to console you through that process that the Holy Spirit is described as a counselor, the great counselor. In John 14, it says, I will ask the Father, Jesus is speaking, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, inferring that Jesus was here on earth, and he was the counselor for the people around him. And because he was leaving, he needed to send someone else. Like when your parents left you when you were a teenager on the weekend, and they had to send a babysitter to make sure everything was still good, there's this idea that the Holy Spirit is here to be with us to care for us, to counsel with us. He's the great counselor. He's our comfort. He's our guide. But in order for the counselor to come, Jesus had to leave. In order for the counselor to come. And we know through Scripture that Jesus ascends into heaven, but he doesn't leave us to fend for ourselves. But he sends the Holy Spirit to be with us, to be near us, to lead us, to guide us. And in John 16, 7, it says, Nevertheless, I am telling you the truth. It is for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor will not come to you. If I go, I will send him to you. When he comes to you, he will convict the world about sin, righteousness, and judgment. We find a lot right here in this passage where I'm assuming the, the disciples were going, no, Jesus, don't leave. 
Don't go anywhere. Stay here with us. We need you. We can't get along without you. And, and if we look through Scripture, we realize they really could, can't. They were a mess. And, and yet Jesus is saying, no, no, you don't understand. Like, it's great that I'm here, but you need the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit. And when I go, he's going to come. What's he going to do? He's going to come. He's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit resides in us as our counselor. And this is where the Holy Spirit gets confused with self a lot of times. We identify him with our own inner voice. There are moments and times in all of our lives where we think that the narrative that's going on in our head, which all of us have that inner narrator, we think that maybe that's God, maybe that's the Holy Spirit, and sometimes it can be, but often we get our own opinions and our own desires confused with what God is saying. And so we often think that we're getting good counsel, but when that good counsel is not leading to healthy things, it's not good counsel. That a lot of us are going, oh, that sin's not that big of a deal, or that sin's not a problem, or, you know, all of that. And that's not the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is he comes in and says, hey, guess what? That activity, that, that, uh, that, that thought process, that thing that you're doing in your life, that's not okay. That's sin, and we need to eradicate it. What a good counselor does is his good counselor's willing to call us out. A good counselor is willing to, to get to the heart of the issue, not to ignore the issues. And so what the good counselor does here is he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and he brings about judgment that the Holy Spirit resides in us as our counselor. But the Holy Spirit is not our own inner voice. It's God's voice. It's God speaking. And if you've ever had like an impression or a feeling or an idea or a desire, uh, it can often be confused with inner self, but a lot of times it's the Holy Spirit speaking. There's been moments in my life where I'm like, I probably need to contact this person, right? And you, you contact them, you call them up, you text them or whatever, and they're like, I can't believe you just did this. Like, I was needing somebody or whatever. And then we go, well, good job, me. You know, I, I just, I'm in tune. You know, I'm in tune with people. I just got to just ground on the, your feet on the ground, you know. It's the Holy Spirit. It's God prompting us. He's speaking in a language we don't always understand. He's moving in a, in a, in a frequency that we can't see and feel and sense. And it might sound weird, and it might sound strange, and it might sound a little kooky, but do you know there's a Wi-Fi signal burning through this room right now? In fact, we're beaming HDMI 4K footage from that camera to the back of the room. So everybody on that, you might want to get checked out. There's this idea that we think it's weird that God may communicate in this weird way, but yet in our lives, it's okay. I, I remember when Wi-Fi first came out, I went to date myself, and I'm like, wait, you don't have to connect this thing? It just works? You and I, when we align our lives with God and we allow the Holy Spirit to, to speak to us, we find that we're connecting in a way that we, a frequency that we didn't understand could happen. And more often than not, it's God working through us, inviting us to more, inviting us to better, inviting us to, to work. And, and he uses the gifts of the Spirit, and you're going to need to Google search that later if you're not familiar. But he uses the gifts to edify the body, to edify the church, to build and to strengthen. And if it's malice or if it's hate or it's deceit, guess what? That's not the Holy Spirit. That's the wrong frequency. And, but if it's love, it's compassion, and it's mercy, and it's grace, and if you're working in your gift, and you're leading, and you're teaching, and you're loving, and you're giving and you're sharing, then you're working within the capacity of the Holy Spirit, and it's making our church stronger, and it's making your life better, and it's making the people around you's lives better, that the Holy Spirit is not just our counselor, but he's actually our comfort. The Bible says he's our comfort, and he's our guide. And I don't know if you've been cold lately, but in, in, in Indiana, it feels like you can't get warm. 
it, the temperature says 45, but I swear it's 25. You just can't warm up. And, and there's this idea that if you just grab a big, heavy, thick blanket, like a weighted blanket, it just feels like this comforting thing. See, I feel like the Holy Spirit is like that for us so often. He's just this weighted blanket that we could just put on, and when we're feeling weak, and we're feeling tired, and we're feeling defeated, and we feel like the enemy is winning at every front, the Holy Spirit steps in as our comforter and says, it's okay. God's still in control. And if you've ever been in a moment where you needed great comfort, know that the Holy Spirit is available to you and I to bring peace in moments where we shouldn't feel peace. That you can experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in the moments when you're at your weakest, when you're hurting and in need. He's a comforter bringing peace in time of chaos. And this is the comforting presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is so actively involved in our lives that we often take it for granted. The Holy Spirit is often taken for granted. We think that, well, I'm just feeling a peace, you know, uh, it's just me or it's just a situation or whatever, but it's the Holy Spirit moving. But he's also our guide, so he's our comforter. He's our counselor and he's our guide. In John 16, 13, it says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. And so there's this idea that the Holy Spirit will come and, and will, will guide us. So like right now, if I said, hey, everybody, we're going to go down to the gym. Uh, I'll show you the way. Come follow me. You know, I'll hold my hand up and you can follow my hand and we're going to walk out that door and we're going to go. There's this idea that I am guiding you to another room. But if you don't want to go, you're going to stay here. If you don't trust the guide, you're like, no, I'll find my own way, right? And a lot of us, we understand that the Holy Spirit wants to guide us, but we feel more inclined to lean on our own understanding than we do the, uh, the Holy Spirit's. And so we go, I'll just navigate life on my own. Thank you. And it never works out for us, that the Holy Spirit wants to guide us, but we can only be guided if we're willing to be guided. And so for us, there's so many decisions that we have to make. Big, huge, colossal, heavy decisions, and we don't have the ability to do this in our own strength, and if we'll invite the Holy Spirit into our daily activity, Holy Spirit, guide us, Holy Spirit, give me wisdom, Holy Spirit, lead me, then all of a sudden we'll find that we're making wiser choices. We'll find that God is navigating us and moving us, and sometimes it's very subtle, but decisions for personal growth and health and moral dilemmas, we can lean on the Holy Spirit to guide us and lead us. And Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit desires to be our guide. It's one of the reasons why he sent him. And if we connect our lives to God, then the Holy Spirit will then guide us, but not just anywhere. He will guide us towards a path of truth. In our current society, we feel like truth is a moving target. You have a truth, and I have a truth, and the person around you has a truth. But what we actually believe here is that there is truth, and truth can be known, and the Holy Spirit can actually guide us to truth. And so if you're in this room and you're like, I don't really know what to believe here, then invite the Holy Spirit to lead you through the context of Scripture to truth. And you will know truth, you can find truth, and, and, and God through His Spirit will guide you there. But this is not a one-time thing, but it's a constant it's not enough to go, well, can you guide me one time, and then I'll get there from now on on my own. The Holy Spirit wants to guide us and, and, and lead us. And this is what some refer to as a spirit-filled or a spirit-empowered life. Where we're not living as weak, unguided, clueless people. 
but we're living as spirit-empowered people who are walking in boldness and confidence in God, who are being led and guided to make the world a better place, to make the church a stronger place, to make our group and our family better. And we're not leaning on our own understanding, but we're trusting that the Holy Spirit is guiding us. And I don't know about you, but I'm tired of living weak lives. I'm tired of getting sand kicked in my face. I'm tired of feeling like I'm losing. I'm tired of feeling like the enemy keeps taking more ground. I'm tired of the enemy taking portions of my family and portions of my time and portions of my finances. And I'm tired of sitting idly by and going, I just don't know what to do. When the Holy Spirit comes, he says, I want to lead you and guide you. I want to be your comfort. I want to be your uh, counsel. And you don't have to lose. And through the Holy Spirit, we gain all of these things. And it's way more normal than you would think because we're all used to following our own inner voice. The problem is our inner voice ends up leading us into bigger problems. We begin to trust the Holy Spirit. We begin to align our lives with God and we begin to trust the Holy Spirit. And we begin to weigh the voice that we hear. If the voice is leading you to health and life and growth, it's most likely the voice of God. If the voice is self-loathing and it's, it's critical and it, it's leading you to death and destruction, that's not God. That's not the Holy Spirit speaking. And so when we begin to learn that voice, we shut the voice of self off and and doubt and condemnation. And we begin to give more time over to the Holy Spirit who is leading us to life and health. And the third thing that Jesus says is that the Holy Spirit can be known. I love this. Because when we think about it being so mysterious and so elusive and so, uh, so, so strange, all of a sudden what Jesus does is he said, you can actually know the Holy Spirit. It can be known that we often imagine it to be this elusive, scary thing, and like this mist or this breath or this wind, and, and yet Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as a person that can be known. And in John 14, 17, he is the spirit of truth, speaking of the Holy Spirit. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't know him or see him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Saying, the world doesn't see it. The world doesn't understand it. The world doesn't get it. And yet if you align your life with God, invite the Holy Spirit into your life as your comforter, as your counsel, and as your guide, then you'll actually know the Holy Spirit. And I found this to be the most practical point that even though it's mysterious and difficult to understand, he can be known. And many people aren't aware of the Holy Spirit in Acts 19. Um, Verse 1, it says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, a location, and he found some disciples. In verse 2, he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a spirit. And you may be in the room and you go, I didn't even know there was like this Holy Spirit. I never heard this. Interesting, Paul's traveling and he found some followers of Jesus who who didn't receive the Holy Spirit, didn't believe in the Holy Spirit, weren't being led by the Holy Spirit. And many of us were were here, were misinformed. Many people today were living spirit-less lives, were living beneath our God-given potential. We're missing out on the aspect of our faith that God intends for us to take advantage of, to walk in these gifts that he's given us to edify one another, to build his church, to build our relationships. And some people are are unaware while others are resistant. Some people just don't know while other people are actually resistant to it. And we can't know someone that we're trying to resist, right? I mean, I've spent 20-some years getting to know my wife. She can shoot me a look from across the room, and I know what she's thinking, Good or bad. And it took years and I made a lot of mistakes and I paid dearly for them. But I know, I know now. 
kind of, it changes, but I know I have, I'm on the right path towards knowledge. But if I'm resistant, if I go, I don't want to know you, I don't need to get to know you, I don't need, then we're not going to feel that. We're not going to sense that any longer. And some of us, we've been resistant, maybe out of fear, maybe out of a misunderstanding, maybe because it's been abused or misused. Maybe you've only had a, uh, an element of it where you're like, no, that's not for me. We're not doing that. And, and you don't understand it, but I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is for you. And in Acts 7, we find a man named Stephen in the New Testament. He's about to be stoned, and before his death, he begins to speak up in Acts 7, 51. He says, you stiff-necked people with uncircumcised hearts and ears. Those are strong words, by the way. You may not feel it, but they're strong. It says, you are always resisting the Holy Spirit as your ancestors did, so do you. I don't want to be stiff-necked. I don't want to be this person. See, if God has something for me, I want all of it. I don't want to resist it. I don't want to grieve it. I don't want to lie to it. And if you're here in the room and you're not aware of the Holy Spirit, I need you to know the Holy Spirit's most likely prompting you, drawing you, compelling you to God. And the next time you feel this prompting to do something, the next time you feel this, this maybe inner narrative that says, hey, I should lean into this, just trust it for a moment and see how it works out. Because God is working among us in ways that we don't even realize. And the more experience you have with the Holy Spirit, the easier it is to begin to recognize Him and in Isaiah 44, 3, the last passage I'll read, it says, For I will pour water on the thirsty and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessings on your offspring. God's saying, I want to pour out all of these things on you. Other passages say in the last days, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Men are going to dream and women are going to have visions or vice versa. I get it confused. The idea, though, is that there's something more for you and I. There's power, there's boldness, there's comfort, there's guidance. If we'll receive it, if we'll accept it, if we'll acknowledge it. And so there's this idea that you can resist it and walk on. You can uh, live your life. You can uh, die one day and, and make heaven and, and, and fantastic. We'll see you there. But I don't want to struggle in this life. If God has gifts for me, I want them, and I want all of them, and I want to put them to use, and I want to make sure that I'm living to the fullest that I can. And there's this idea that God has sent the Holy Spirit for us so that we don't live weak. We don't live powerless lives. And so the choice then is on us. The onus is on us to accept, to receive, and to walk in that. And so I don't believe in a, in a filling or a, a gifting of the Holy Spirit. I believe in a constant walking of God, I need more, God, I need more, God, I need more. I'm expelling it, I'm walking out it, and I'm depleting it, and I need God to fill me up again. And so that's what I want us to do in this room. If you would, across the room, I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to invite you where you're at to just ask yourself the question, do I need the Holy Spirit? Do I need power and boldness and comfort and guidance? Do I need the Holy Spirit to be actively working in my life? And if the answer is yes, then I want to invite you to just receive from the Lord all that he has just open your life up to the reality that there is more that God wants to bestow upon us. The Spirit-empowered life. So God, we thank you that you sent your Son to die on the cross for sins he never committed. We thank you that when he rose from the grave and he ascended into heaven, that he didn't leave us to fend for ourselves, but he sent the Comforter and the Guide. He sent the Holy Spirit. So God, forgive us for when we grieve the Holy Spirit. Forgive us when we lie to the Holy Spirit. Thank you for not killing us in the moment. God, forgive us for resisting the Holy Spirit. But in this moment, we as a collective body of people are choosing to just receive, to accept the Holy Spirit into our lives because we want more. We want all that you have. If there's something that you have for us, we want all of it. 
And so we just ask that you would fill us, overflowing, so that we may have more grace and compassion and love and kindness for the world around us. Because a lot of us, myself included, I'm pretty dry. I'm pretty weak. I'm thirsty. I need you. So fill me to overflowing so that I may have more to give. In Jesus' name we pray. If you would stand across the room. Oh.